Chapter Five, Part Two of the Complete Angler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. The Complete Angler by Isaac Walton. Chapter Five, Part Two. You are to note that there are twelve kinds of artificial made flies to angle with upon the top of the water. Note, by the way, that the fittest season of using these is in a blustering windy day, when the waters are so troubled that the natural fly cannot be seen, or rest upon them. The first is the dun-fly, in March, the body is made of dun-wool, the wings of the partridge's feathers. The second is another dun-fly, the body of black-wool, and the wings made of the black drake's feathers, and of the feathers under his tail. The third is the stone-fly, in April, the body is made of black-wool, made yellow under the wings and under the tail, and so made with wings of the drake. The fourth is the ruddy fly, in the beginning of May, the body made of red wool, wrapped about with black silk, and the feathers are the wings of the drake, with the feathers of a red capon also, which hang dangling on his sides next to the tail. The fifth is the yellow or greenish fly, in May likewise, the body made of yellow wool, and the wings made of the red cock's hacker or tail. The sixth is the black fly, in May also, the body made of black wool and lapped about with the hurl of a peacock's tail. The wings are made of the wings of a brown capon, with his blue feathers in his head. The seventh is the sad yellow fly in June. The body is made of black wool with a yellow list on either side, and the wings taken off the wings of a buzzard, bound with black braked hemp. The eighth is the moorish fly, made with the body of duskish wool, and the wings made of the blackish male of the drake. The ninth is the tea-fly fly, good until the middle of June, the body made of tawny wool, the wings made contrary one against the other, made of the whitish male of the wild drake. The tenth is the wasp fly in July, the body made of black wool lapped about with yellow silk, the wings made of the feathers of the drake or of the buzzard. The eleventh is the shell fly, good in mid-July, the body made of greenish wool lapped about with the hurl of a peacock's tail, and the wings made of the wings of the buzzard. The twelfth is the dark drake fly, good in August the body made with black wool, lapped about with black silk. His wings are made with the male of the black drake, with a black head. Thus have you a jury of flies, likely to betray and condemn all the trouts in the river. I shall next give you some other directions for fly-fishing, such as are given by Mr. Thomas Barker, a gentleman that hath spent much time in fishing, but I shall do it with a little variation. First let your rod be light and very gentle. I take the best to be of two pieces. And let not your line exceed, especially for three or four links next to the hook, I say not exceed three or four hairs at the most, though you may fish a little stronger above, in the upper part of your line. But if you can attain to angle with one hair, you shall have more risers and catch more fish. Now you must be sure not to cumber yourself with too long a line as most do, and before you begin to angle, cast to have the wind on your back, and the sun, if it shines, to be before you and to fish down the stream, and carry the point or top of your rod downward, by which means the shadow of yourself and rod too will be the least offensive to the fish, for the sight of any shade amazes the fish, and spoils your sport, of which you must take great care. In the middle of March, till which time a man should not in honesty catch a trout, or in April, if the weather be dark, or a little windy or cloudy, the best fishing is with the palmer worm, of which I last spoke to you, but of these there be diverse kinds, or at least of diverse colours. These and the mayfly are the ground of all fly angling, which are to be thus made. 
First, you must arm your hook with the line in the inside of it. Then take your scissors and cut so much of a brown mallard's feather as, in your own reason, will make the wings of it, you having withal regard to the bigness or littleness of your hook. Then lay the outmost part of your feather next to your hook, then the point of your feather next the shank of your hook, and having so done, whip it three or four times about the hook, with the same silk with which your hook was armed, and having made the silk fast, take the hackle of a cock or capon's neck, or a plover's top, which is usually better. Take off the one side of the feather, and then take the hackle, silk or crewel, gold or silver thread, make these fast at the bent of the hook, that is to say, below your arming, then you must take the hackle, the silver or gold thread, and work it up to the wings, shifting or still removing your fingers, you turn the silk about the hook, and still looking at every stop or turn, that your gold, or what material soever you make your fly of, do lie rightly and neatly. And if you find they do so, then when you have made the head, make all fast, and then work your hackle up to the head, and make that fast, and then with a needle or pin divide the wing into two, and then with the arming silk whip it about crossways betwixt the wings, and then with your thumb you must turn the point of the feather towards the bent of the hook, and then work three or four times about the shank of the hook, and then view the proportion, and if all be neat and to your liking, fasten. I confess no direction can be given to make a man of a dull capacity able to make a fly well, and yet I know this, with a little practice, will help an ingenious angler in a good degree. But to see a fly made by an artist in that kind is the best teaching to make it, and then an ingenious angler may walk by the river, and mark what flies fall on the water that day, and catch one of them, if he sees the trouts leap at a fly of that kind, and then having always hooks ready hung with him, and having a bag always with him, with bear's hair, or the hair of a brown or sad-coloured heifer, hackles of a cock or capon, a several coloured silk and cruel to make the body of the fly, the feathers of a drake's head, black or brown sheep's wool or hog's wool, or hair, thread of gold and of silver, silk of several colours, especially sad-coloured, to make the fly's head, and there be also other coloured feathers, both of little birds and of speckled fowl. I say, having those with him in a bag, and trying to make a fly, though he miss at first, yet shall he at last hit it better, even to such a perfection as none can well teach him. And if he hit to make his fly right, and have the luck to hit also where there is store of trouts, a dark day, and a right wind, he will catch such store of them as will encourage him to grow more and more in love with the art of fly-making. Venator. But, my loving master, if any wind will not serve, then I wish I were in Lapland, to buy a good wind of one of the honest witches, that sell so many winds there, and so cheap. Piscator. Marry, scholar, but I would not be there, nor indeed from under this tree, for look how it begins to rain, and by the clouds, if I mistake not, we shall presently have a smoking shower, and therefore sit close. This sycamore tree will shelter us, and I will tell you, as they shall come into my mind, more observations of fly-fishing for a trout. But first for the wind. You are to take notice that of the winds, the south wind is said to be best. One observes that, when the wind is south, it blows your bait into a fish's mouth. Next to that, the west wind is believed to be the best. And having told you that the east wind is the worst, I need not tell you which wind is the best in the third degree. And yet, as Solomon observes, that he that considers the wind shall never sow, so he that busies his head too much about them, if the weather be not made extreme cold by an east wind, shall be a little superstitious, for, as it is observed by some, that there is no good horse of a bad colour, so I have observed, that if it be a cloudy day, and not extreme cold, let the wind sit in what corner it will, and do its worst, I heed it not. And yet take this for a rule, 
that I would willingly fish, standing on the lee shore, and you are to take notice, that the fish lies or swims nearer the bottom, and in deeper water, in winter than in summer, and also nearer the bottom in any cold day, and then gets nearest the lee side of the water. But I promise to tell you more of the fly-fishing for a trout, which I may have time enough to do, for you see it rains may butter. First for a mayfly. You may make his body with greenish-coloured cruel, or willowish colour, darkening it in most places with waxed silk, or ribbed with black hair, or some of them ribbed with silver thread, and such wings for the colour as you see the fly to have at that season, nay, at that very day on the water. Or you may make the oak-fly, with an orange, tawny, and black ground, and the brown of a mallard's feather for the wings. And you are to know that these two are most excellent flies, that is, the may-fly and the oak-fly. And let me again tell you, that you keep as far from the water as you can possibly, whether you fish with a fly or worm, and fish down the stream, and when you fish with a fly, if it be possible, let no part of your line touch the water, but your fly only, and be still moving your fly upon the water, or casting it into the water, you yourself being also always moving down the stream. Mr. Barker commends several sorts of the palmer flies, not only those ribbed with silver and gold, but others that have their bodies all made of black, or some with red and a red hackle. You may also make the hawthorn fly, which is all black and not big, but very small, the smaller the better, or the oak fly, the body of which is orange colour and black cruel, with a brown wing, or a fly made with a peacock's feather is excellent in a bright day. You must be sure you want not in your magazine-bag the peacock's feather, and grounds of such wool and cruel as will make the grasshopper. And note that usually the smallest flies are the best, and note also that the light fly does usually make most sport in a dark day and the darkest and least fly in a bright or clear day. And lastly note that you are to repair upon any occasion to your magazine-bag, and upon any occasion vary and make them lighter or sadder, according to your fancy or the day. And now I shall tell you that the fishing with a natural fly is excellent, and affords much pleasure. They may be found thus. The may-fly, usually in and about that month, near to the river-side, especially against rain, the oak-fly on the butt or body of an oak or ash, from the beginning of May to the end of August. It is a brownish fly, and easy to be so found, and stands usually with his head downward, that is to say, towards the root of the tree. The small black fly or hawthorn fly is to be had on any hawthorn bush after the leaves be come forth. With these and a short line, as I shewed to angle for a chub, you may cape or cop, and also with a grasshopper behind a tree, or in any deep hole still making it to move on the top of the water as if it were alive and still keeping yourself out of sight you shall certainly have sport if there be trouts yea in a hot day but especially in the evening of a hot day you will have sport and now scholar my direction for fly-fishing is ended with the shower for it has done raining and now look about you and see how pleasantly that meadow looks nay and the earth smells so sweetly too come let me tell you what holy mr herbert says of such days and flowers as these and then we will thank God that we enjoy them, and walk to the river and sit down quietly, and try to catch the other place of trouts. Sweet day, so cool, so calm, so bright, the bridal of the earth and sky, sweet dew shall weep thy fall to-night, for thou must die. Sweet rose, whose hue, angry and brave, bids the rash-gazer wipe his eye, thy root is ever in its grave, and thou must die. Sweet spring, full of sweet days and roses, a box where sweets compacted lie my music shoes you have your closes and all must die only a sweet and virtuous soul 
like seasoned timber never gives but when the whole world turns to coal then chiefly lives venator i thank you good master for your good direction for fly-fishing and for the sweet enjoyment of the pleasant day which is so far spent without offence to god or man and i thank you for the sweet close of your discourse with mr herbert's verses who i have heard loved angling and i do the rather believe it because he had a spirit suitable to anglers and to those primitive christians that you love and have so much commended piscator well my loving scholar and i am pleased to know that you are so well pleased with my direction and discourse and since you like these verses of mr herbert so well let me tell you what a reverend and learned divine that professes to imitate him and has indeed done so most excellently hath writ of our book of common prayer which i know you will like the better because he is a friend of mine and i am sure no enemy to angling what prayer by the book and common yes why not the spirit of grace and supplication is not left free alone for time and place but manner too to read or speak by rote is all alike to him that prays in his heart what with his mouth he says they that in private by themselves alone do pray may take what liberty they please in choosing of the ways wherein to make their souls most intimate affections known to him that sees in secret when they are most concealed from other men but he that unto others leads the way in public prayer should do it so as all that here may know they need not fear to tune their hearts unto his tongue and say amen not doubt they were betrayed to blaspheme when they meant to have prayed devotion will add life unto the letter and why should not that which authority prescribes esteemed be advantage got if the prayer be good the commoner the better prayer in the church's words as well as sense of all prayers bears the bell and now scholar i think it will be time to repair to our angle-rods which we left in the water to fish for themselves and you shall choose which shall be yours and it is an even lay one of them catches and let me tell you this kind of fishing with a dead rod and laying night hooks are like putting money to use for they both work for the owners when they do nothing but sleep or eat or rejoice as you know we have done this last hour and sat as quietly and as free from cares under this sycamore as virgil's titerus and his melibeus did under their broad beech-tree no life my honest scholar no life so happy and so pleasant as the life of a well-governed angler for when the lawyer is swallowed up with business and the statesman is preventing or contriving plots then we sit on cowslip banks hear the birds sing and possess ourselves in as much quietness as these silent silver streams which we now see glide so quietly by us indeed my good scholar we may say of angling as dr bottler said of strawberries doubtless god could have made a better berry but doubtless god never did and so if i might be judge god never did make a more calm quiet innocent recreation than angling i'll tell you scholar when i sat last on this primrose bank and looked down these meadows i thought of them as charles the emperor did of the city of florence that they were too pleasant to be looked on but only on holy days as i then sat on this very grass i turned my present thoughts into verse twas a wish which i'll repeat to you the angler's wish i in these flowery meads would be these crystal streams should solace me to whose harmonious bubbling noise i with my angle would rejoice sit here and see the turtle-dove court his chase-mate to acts of love or on that bank feel the west wind breathe health and plenty please my mind to see sweet dewdrops kiss these flowers and then washed off by april showers here hear my kenner sing a song 
there see a blackbird feed her young or a leverock build her nest here give my weary spirits rest and raise my low-pitched thoughts above earth or what poor mortals love thus free from lawsuits and the noise of princes courts i would rejoice or with my brian and a book loiter long days near shawford brook there sit by him and eat my meat there see the sun both rise and set there bid good morning to next day there meditate my time away and angle on and beg to have a quiet passage to a welcome grave when i had ended this composure i left this place and saw a brother of the angle sit under that honeysuckle hedge one that will prove worth your acquaintance i sat down by him and presently we met with an accidental piece of merriment which i will relate to you for it rains still on the other side of this very hedge sat a gang of gypsies and near to them sat a gang of beggars the gypsies were then to divide all the money that had been got that week either by stealing linen or poultry or by fortune-telling or ledger domain or indeed by any other slates and secrets belonging to their mysterious government and the sum that was got that week proved to be but twenty and some odd shillings the odd money was agreed to be distributed amongst the poor of their own corporation and for the remaining twenty shillings that was to be divided unto four gentlemen gypsies according to their several degrees in their commonwealth and the first or chiefest gypsy was by consent to have a third part of the twenty shillings which all men know is six shillings eight pence the second was to have a fourth part of the twenty shillings which all men know to be five shillings the third was to have a fifth part of the twenty shillings which all men know to be four shillings the fourth and last gypsy was to have a sixth part of the twenty shillings which all men know to be three shillings fourpence as for example three times six shillings eight pence are twenty shillings and so is four times five shillings are twenty shillings and so is five times four shillings are twenty shillings and so is six times three shillings fourpence are twenty shillings and yet he that divided the money was so very a gypsy that though he gave to every one these said sums yet he kept one shilling of it for himself as for example six shillings eight pence five shillings four shillings three shillings fourpence make but nineteen shillings but now you shall know that when the four gypsies saw that he had got one shilling by dividing the money though not one of them knew any reason to demand more yet like lords and courtiers every gypsy envied him that was the gainer and wrangled with him and every one said the remaining shilling belonged to him and so they fell to so high a contest about it as none that knows the faithfulness of one gypsy to another will easily believe only we that have lived these last twenty years are certain that money has been able to do much mischief however the gypsies were too wise to go to law and did therefore choose their choice friends rook and shark and our late english guzman to be their arbitrators and umpires and so they left this honeysuckle hedge and went to tell fortunes and cheat and get more money and lodging in the next village when these were gone we heard as high a contention amongst the beggars whether it was easiest to rip a cloak or to unrip a cloak one beggar affirmed it was all one but that was denied by asking her if doing and undoing were all one then another said twas easiest to unrip a cloak for that was to let it alone but she was answered by asking her how she unripped it if she let it alone and she confessed herself mistaken these and twenty such like questions were proposed and answered with as much beggarly logic and earnestness as was ever heard to proceed from the mouth of the pertinacious schismatic and sometimes all the beggars whose number was neither more nor less than the poet's nine muses talked all together about this ripping and unripping and so loud that not one heard what the other said but at last one beggar craved audience and told them that old father claus whom ben jonson in his beggar's bush created king of their corporation was to lodge at an alehouse called catch her by the way 
not far from Waltham Cross, and in the high road towards London, and he therefore desired them to spend no more time about that and such like questions, but refer all to Father Claus at night, for he was an upright judge, and in the meantime draw cuts, what song should be next sung, and who should sing it. They all agreed to the motion, and the lot fell to her that was the youngest, and veriest virgin of the company, and she sung Frank Davison's song, which he made forty years ago, and all the others of the company joined to sing the burthen with her. The ditty was this, but first the burthen. Bright shines the sun, play beggars play, here scraps enough to serve to-day. What noise of our vials is so sweet, as when our merry clappers ring? What mirth doth want where beggars meet, a beggar's life is for a king? Eat, drink, and play, sleep when we list, go where we will, so stocks be missed. Bright shines the sun, play beggars play, here scraps enough to serve to-day. The world is ours, and ours alone, for we alone have world at will. We purchase not, all is our own, both fields and streets we beggars fill. Nor care to get, nor fear to keep, did ever break a beggar's sleep. Play beggars play, play beggars play, here scraps enough to serve to-day. A hundred head of black and white upon our gowns securely feed. If any dare his master bite, he dies therefore as sure as creed. Thus beggars lord it as they please, and only beggars live at ease. Bright shines the sun, play beggars play, here scraps enough to serve to-day. Venator. I thank you, good master, for this piece of merriment, and this song which was well humoured by the maker, and well remembered by you. Piscator. But I pray forget not the catch which you promised to make against night, for our countryman, honest Corridon, will expect your catch, and my song, which I must be forced to patch up, for it is so long since I learnt it that I have forgot a part of it. But come, now it hath done raining, let's stretch our legs a little in a gentle walk to the river, and try what interest our angles will pay us, for lending them so long to be used by the trouts. Lent them indeed like usurers, for our profit and their destruction. Venator. Oh, me, look you, master, a fish, a fish! Oh, alas, master, I have lost her! Piscator. Ay, marry, sir, that was a good fish indeed. If I had had the luck to have taken up that rod, then tis twenty to one he should not have broken my line by running to the rod's end, as you suffered him. I would have held him within the bent of my rod, unless he had been fellow to the great trout that is near an ell long, which was of such a length and depth, that he had his picture drawn, and now is to be seen at mine host Rickaby's, at the George in Ware. And it may be by giving that very great trout the rod, that is, by casting it to him into the water, I might have caught him at the long run, for so I use always to do when I meet with an overgrown fish. And you will learn to do so too, hereafter, for I tell you, scholar, fishing is an art, or at least it is an art to catch fish. Venator. But, master, I have heard that the great trout you speak of is a salmon. Piscator. Trust me, scholar, I know not what to say to it. There are many country people that believe hares change sexes every year, and there be very many learned men think so too, for in their dissecting them they find many reasons to incline them to that belief, and to make the wonder seem yet less that hares change sexes. Note that Dr. Merrick Casabon affirms, in his book of credible and incredible things, that Gaspar Pusirus, a learned physician, tells us of a people that once a year turn wolves, partly in shape and partly in conditions. And so whether this were a salmon when he came into fresh water, and his not returning into the sea hath altered him to another colour or kind, I am not able to say, but I am certain he hath all the signs of being a trout, both for his shape, colour, and spots, and yet many think he is not. Venator. But, master, will this trout which I had hold of die? For it is like he hath a hook in his belly. Piscator. 
I will tell you, scholar, that unless the hook be fast in his very gorge, tis more than probable he will live, and a little time, with the help of the water, will rust the hook, and it will in time wear away, as the gravel doth in the horse-hoof, which only leaves a false quarter. And now, scholar, let's go to my rod. Look you, scholar, I have a fish too, but it proves a logger-headed chub, and this is not much amiss, for this will pleasure some poor body, as we go to our lodging to meet our brother Peter and honest Corridon. Come, now bait your hook again, and lay it into the water, for it rains again, and we will even retire to the sycamore-tree, and there I will give you more directions concerning fishing, for I would fain make you an artist. Venator. Yes, good master, I pray, let it be so. Piscator. Well, scholar, now that we are sate down and are at ease, I shall tell you a little more of trout-fishing, before I speak of the salmon, which I purpose shall be next, and then of the pike or loose. You are to know there is night as well as day-fishing for a trout, and that in the night the best trouts come out of their holes, and the manner of taking them is on the top of the water with a great lob or garden-worm, or rather two, which you are to fish with in a stream where the waters run somewhat quietly, for in a stream the bait will not be so well discerned. I say in a quiet or dead place, near to some swift, there draw your bait over the top of the water to and fro, and if there be a good trout in the hole he will take it, especially if the night be dark, for then he is bold, and lies near the top of the water, watching the motion of any frog or water-rat, or mouse that swims betwixt him and the sky. These he hunts after, if he sees the water but wrinkle, or move in one of these dead holes, where these great old trouts usually lie, near to their holes, for you are to note that the great old trout is both subtle and fearful, and lies close all day, and does not usually stir out of his hole, but lies in it as close in the day as the timorous hare does in her form, for the chief feeding of either is seldom in the day, but usually in the night, and then the great trout feeds very boldly. And you must fish for him with a strong line, and not a little hook, and let him have time to gorge your hook, for he does not usually forsake it, as he oft will in the day fishing. And if the night be not dark, then fish so with an artificial fly of a light colour, and at the snap, nay, he will sometimes rise at a dead mouse, or a piece of cloth, or anything that seems to swim across the water, or to be in motion. This is a choice way, but I have not oft used it, because it is void of the pleasures that such days as these, that we two now enjoy, afford an angler. And you are to know that in Hampshire, which I think exceeds all England for swift, shallow, clear, pleasant brooks, and store of trouts, they used to catch trouts in the night, by the light of a torch or straw, which when they have discovered, they strike with a trout-spear, or other ways. This kind of way they catch very many, but I would not believe it till I was an eye-witness of it, nor do I like it, now I have seen it. Venator. But, master, do not trout see us in the night? Piscator. Yes, and hear, and smell too, both then and in the daytime. For Gesner observes, the otter smells a fish forty furlongs off him in the water, and that it may be true seems to be affirmed by Sir Francis Bacon, in the eighth century of his natural history, who there proves that waters may be the medium of sounds, by demonstrating it thus, that if you knock two stones together very deep under the water, those that stand on a bank near to that place may hear the noise without any diminution of it by the water. He also offers the like experiment, concerning the letting an anchor fall, by a very long cable or rope, on a rock or the sand, within the sea. And this being so well observed and demonstrated as it is by that learned man, has made me to believe that eels unbed themselves, and stir at the noise of thunder, and not only, as some think, by the motion or stirring of the earth which is occasioned by that thunder. And this reason of Sir Francis Bacon has made me crave pardon of one that I laughed at, 
for affirming that he knew carps come to a certain place in a pond to be fed at the ringing of a bell or the beating of a drum and however it shall be a rule for me to make as little noise as i can when i am fishing until sir francis bacon be confuted which i shall give any man leave to do and lest you may think him singular in this opinion i will tell you this seems to be believed by our learned dr hakewill who in his apology of god's power and providence quotes pliny to report that one of the emperors had particular fish-ponds and in them several fish that appeared and came when they were called by their particular names and st james tells us that all things in the sea have been tamed by mankind and pliny tells us that antonia the wife of drusus had a lamprey at whose gill she hung jewels or earrings and that others have been so tender-hearted as to shed tears at the death of fishes which they have kept and loved and these observations which will to most hearers seem wonderful seem to have a further confirmation from marshall who writes thus piscator fugue nay knockens etc angler wouldst thou be guiltless then forbear for these are sacred fishes that swim here who know their sovereign and will lick his hand than which none's greater in the world's command nay more they've names and when they call it are do to their several owners call repair all the further use that i shall make of this shall be to advise anglers to be patient and forbear swearing lest they be heard and catch no fish and so i shall proceed next to tell you it is certain that certain fields near leminster a town in herefordshire are observed to make the sheep that graze upon them more fat than the next and also to bear finer wool that is to say that that year in which they feed in such a particular pasture they shall yield finer wool than they did that year before they came to feed in it and coarser again if they shall return to their former pasture and again return to a finer wool being fed in the fine wool ground which i tell you that you may the better believe that i am certain if i catch a trout in one meadow he shall be white and faint and very like to be lousy and as certainly if i catch a trout in the next meadow he shall be strong and red and lusty and much better meat trust me scholar i have caught many a trout in a particular meadow that the very shape and the enamelled colour of him have been such as hath joyed me to look on him and i have then with much pleasure concluded with solomon everything is beautiful in his season i should by promise speak next of the salmon but i will by your favour say a little of the umber or grayling which is so like a trout for his shape and feeding that i desire i may exercise your patience with a short discourse of him and then the next shall be of the salmon End of chapter five part two